Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams Tea Podcast, where we spin the jams and spill the tea. And this week, Riley and I, just the two of us, just the two of us, are going to come at you with a brand new episode where we talk about two new albums, two very podcore releases this week. Where we're talking about the new album from Built to Spill, When the Wind Forgets Your Name, and we're we'll talking about the latest album from Preoccupations. We're going to be talking about arrangements. So yes. two uh, bands that we've talked about pretty extensively in past what we've been listening to segments uh, over the course of the past year. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, returning with the 2022 theme of, you know, the old guard coming back and dropping <laughs> an album and just being like, yo, which is bitches. like, it's super funny because like, I, I also think of them as like old guard bands, but Preoccupations didn't start up until the 2010s and Built to Spill are like a 90s band. So they're like, but what it is, is that they're kind of just like, they the set their sound is like so of a bygone era i think like oh, what yeah. preoccupations do is a very like kind of yeah it is a very sort of older style of post-punk it is something that you've seen a lot, kind we saw of a a lot of bands. streak of post-punk that we've been talking about since joy division on this channel it sort of yeah. feels like it's climaxing here a little bit yeah and then built a spill it's like they are, have always been one of the quintessential 90s alt rock bands and they haven't really ever like deviated or pushed their sound in any particularly progressive direction so you are just getting a very you know 90s sounding built a spill record for the most part which it's a good thing, I will say, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Um, it's going to be a fairly low-key, fairly chill episode today, and we're hope we're stoked that you're joining us. If you're still listening at this point, hopefully uh, you will have some thoughts on these two records as well. But before we get into the reviews themselves, let's talk about what we've been listening to for the last seven days. Jake, what have you been listening to? I think the biggest undertaking that I've had this week is listening to essentially the entire discography of one of tricks point never um which was a long time coming just because i had uh you know i had been a fan of daniel lopatin's uh just based off of his score work for uncut gems and good time uh and i was a fan of the magic one of tricks point never uh album that came out in 2020 that we covered on this podcast and uh i had listened to replica earlier on this year and fucking loved it one of my favorite new listens of the year so he had a big back catalog of stuff and i was just looking for an excuse to sort of get into it uh and uh after listening to sort of like r plus seven uh one of his sort of big canonical records i just sort of went and listened to the rest of his shit after that and um really interesting discography i think i found another one of my favorite electronic musicians just because he is an amazingly consistent guy like ever after like a certain point like after he sort of foregoes his work with like his really primitive like synthesizer stuff with um uh betrayed in the octagon which is an album i actually really like a lot because i think that record makes a lot with a little bit there are parts of it that sound very primitive but there's also just like a real sinister edge to an album like that that's like really potent and cool and immediately after that he sort of makes an album like transmat memories which that's probably my least favorite of his it's a bit more primitive in like a minimal way and like 
it, it blends it with this sort of like he kind of sometimes occasionally makes like a power noise or power electronic songs on, on some of his records and some of them are here and I don't find them all that compelling from him. Uh, not often, at least. Uh, sometimes later on down the line, I will. Um, but I often find that his like really aggressive tendencies are more interesting when they're channeled into something that's a bit more unwieldy, like on something like Garden of Delete, which uh, I won't talk about uh, in extensive detail because we will be talking about that album in the semi-near future, but I can mm -hmm. tell you certainly that as one of his three big records, I enjoyed it accordingly. But there's also records uh, earlier on in his discography, like A Pact Between Strangers, which is like a really minimal but like spacious space ambient project and i fucking love space ambient shit and this is like just super enjoyable um really fun really accessible stuff uh and then there's um stuff like the split lp between kgb knights uh and or kgb man and one of tricks point never which i think is just another like name for himself uh, he's got a couple of projects like this. Apex um, where, bait. Exactly. Where he's got uh, a project like um, Chuck Person's Echo Jams Volume 1, for example. Um, which, that's a one project of his that people seem to really gravitate towards that I'm not a big fan of. Because it's just kind of... I, I guess it's more just the type of music that that is that I just don't... The thing of, it's like hmm. very traditional vaporwave like remixes of like pop songs and like plays with them like the first one is Toto's Africa and it's like it's neat that's it it's, it's kind of neat the thing about Echo Jams it's actually a record that I it's grown on me and it's one of those records that's grown on me not from listening to it a bunch because I've only heard it once but just from like thinking about it and just kind of like living with it for a bit it's kind of like it is really unassuming in a lot of ways and it is the sort of thing that's kind of difficult to get a lot out of now because so much of what it does has gone on to be like done kind of ad infinitum meme fodder all these sorts of like the vaporwave aesthetic of yeah. the 2010s this is kind of not where it originated, but this is kind of like the seminal text. Essentially, this is the most fulsome statement, I suppose, on this entire aesthetic. And it suffers somewhat, I think, listening to it now from how kind of beaten into the ground its entire aesthetic was throughout the 2010s and how kind of like it's the kind of record that is more interesting in theory than I suppose to listen to. But I do think that that is a record that what that record does with sampling uh, particularly like the ways uh, there's a one part where he uses like a sample of don't give up by peter gabriel and he kind of yeah. just like completely just sort of submerges it and it is like i find it really really interesting as an exercise but i can understand not being sort of swept away by it as an album experience it's one of the things that like I'm definitely open to revisiting it again because it was something that I enjoyed, but it's just, it's very different from his other stuff. Uh, and maybe it's just more or less like mm. giving me something that maybe I, I wasn't necessarily like looking yeah. for or, or whatever. Also the but, way um, that it uses samples is kind of like a sort of thing that he would develop in much more interesting ways with Replica specifically. Like that, like that record yeah. kind of is 
taking some of the ideas of and techniques of this record and kind of just developing them I think into something a little bit more progressive and fascinating um so when you kind of reverse engineer the discography I think it can make some of the earlier stuff seem a bit less impressive but I'm glad you've committed so fully to all the nooks and crannies of of low pattern stuff oh yeah and and I think that like too there's also like uh one of the ways this is made easy is by the compilation that he released uh rifts which has a couple of his like earlier stuff like i'm pretty sure betrayed in the octagon uh transmat memories and uh zones without people are on there but like some of it is resequenced like just a little bit so like i think that sort of the idea is to improve maybe the flow a little bit and then there's like a bonus like final disc that has like the two core tracks from stuff like a pact between strangers or just some earlier like odds and ends so like if you want to just sort of like a crash course in early OPN. I think definitely like listening to that. It's like two hours. So like it's, it's lengthy, but considering the entire span of records that it goes through, it's, it's certainly like a worthwhile endeavor, but like everything in, I'd say that like zones without people in 2009 is sort of where he starts genuinely making front, like front to back great records where like you have that you have the kgb nights and blue drive album you have russian mind which is like one of the most plainly beautiful things that i think he's ever made aside from uh uh his earlier like the the space ambient record stuff um just because like texturally the russian mind is just fucking gorgeous and then immediately after that you have uh returnal which is also incredibly strong it's an album that starts off with that like power noise song and then the rest of it is just like the most beautiful sounding synths you've ever heard uh a really jarring experience but one that i appreciated nonetheless and then of course you have replica uh and r plus seven which i didn't expect to like i don't know why i didn't expect to enjoy it as much as i did but like that to me that and replica and garden of delete like i don't know what my favorite of them is going to be but it could be any of them at this point r plus seven is like the complete tonal inverse of replica replica is like you described that album when i listened to it and talked about it on here is like an album you can feel breathing it's like it feels like an organism like and an organism that maybe like shouldn't exist like something that's alien whereas r plus seven is like drifting through a liminal space Mm. it's just it's such a otherworldly bizarre but like it's maybe the most quintessentially opn album that he has in in my opinion at least Mm. that's like a good starting point i i think for a lot of people and then garden of delete is awesome just because it comes in and it feels like it totally unfurls everything he's ever made in one project and so it was really fascinating to just go through and listen to all his stuff and i even revisited magic 106 point never and while i really like that album still like loved it as much as i did when i first listened to it it certainly lands on like the lesser end of the spectrum uh for him just because he's got so many great records so the only thing i have left to explore is the more recent uh age of which a lot of people describe as being a bit underwhelming so i've adjusted my expectations accordingly but i'm still uh eager to see what it's like just in case it's a good record it's an underrated record there are some 
artistic decisions on it that you will either love or hate. And there's just a lot of stuff on it that I think is really strong. Cool. Um, uh, Daniel stuff. But yeah, I do think of Replica R Plus 7 and Garden as kind of like an informal trilogy of records because it's kind of like, again, it goes from the, when I think of Replica, like that to me is a record that is so sort of steeped in like nostalgia and in like the ephemera of the of growing up in a you know in the age of tv and the early internet age essentially as well and then r plus seven a lot of that kind of hazy nostalgia is sort of peered back and it feels like a record that has a stillness to it and a beauty to it that is so unique to what it is like there's a lot more electroacoustic instrumentation in that. There's a heavy prominence of the organ, which sounds amazing on that record. The space and the size of that album. I feel like the more I think about R Plus 7, the more I listen to that record, the more I become convinced like that is low-key a masterpiece. Yeah, uh, it's just too. one of those records that it, it parts of it are really, really unassuming and parts of it are just kind of like embedding you in a negative space. But those parts really let you get sucked in so that when the real gut punch moments happen or where the real colossal moments happen in terms of sound design they hit super super hard so replica is kind of like a past record r plus seven is kind of like a present record it's so in the moment to me and then garden of the lead is kind of like a futuristic sort of taking everything to the extreme type record and it has a really fascinating concept behind it as well that we'll get into when we do our record club as well but that is i mean no surprises. My favorite uh, OPN record, Garden of Delete, is an absolutely stunning record. I think that record is so completely beyond the pale. Like so much of what that record does is still completely bewildering and completely uncompromising and just such a a visionary direction for all the aesthetics that Daniel has worked with up until that point in his career. It's yeah, it's just god what a what an arc he has it's amazing i think i haven't really fully felt the initiative to explore the discography of like an electronic musician and felt more connected to a catalog of work since like god i want to say like maybe autecker there's just something really innately fascinating about the way that like the bedrock of opn sound of just being inherently about like, like there was a rate your music review I read for the riffs compilation. It's like, it's like being inside a depressed Nintendo. And that really (laughs) is kind of like the core of of his sound. And that like those, those very video gamey synths, but like taking them and instilling a kind of melancholy into them. One of the most worthwhile ventures I've made this year. So yeah. One thing I listened to, maybe the most exciting thing I listened to this week is I listened to a uh, a very, very beloved art pop record from Japanese art pop musician uh, Shina Ringo. Oh, yeah. Uh, her album, uh, Karuki Zamen Kuri no Hana. And this... who how to best describe this album... I don't want to make this seem like it's like, oh, it's one of these weird Eastern records that's just (laughs) crazy. Ah, I'm a white person who's never heard things before. In fact, the the reason I want to veer away from that is just because of how tasteful this record is. But it rides the line by being like really eclectic 
and really tasteful. And I know a lot of the times the people on this podcast, we really admire when artists sort of, you know, throw caution to the wind and just kind of abandon all sense of taste. Uh, and that's cool. And I love when that happens. But there is also something to be said when somebody really knows what they're doing and really just executes something with a certain technical verve and a certain appreciation, but also a, a very evident sense of skill. Uh, and there were so many comparisons that went through my head when listening to this album that like, I, I think I came down on it broadly being like, this is basically like Japanese art pop Fiona Apple. Like a lot of the comparisons that were coming up in the first half of the record to me were like very bluesy, even though it's never, it's never just one thing. There's never just one genre being thrown at you. It's always a collision of ideas. But at first I was thinking like, God, this is like, if like Tom Waits was J-Rock. And then as the album kind of progressed, I was just like, well, art pop Tom Waits is just Fiona Apple and then I was like oh yeah that's that's just kind of like the 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 ideas and specifically when it comes to the incorporations of blues rock and how percussion is utilized but there's also just like there's noise pop on here there's like a full-blown you know symphony orchestra on some tracks here that remind you of the sort of big band stuff that Bjork was doing on uh, an album like Post and Bjork is overall an artist that I think is very comparable to something like this specifically her earlier like really eclectic stuff like something like Debut or or Post I loved this album front to back it's a really tight record I'm probably underrating it as much as I am like I do love it but it is just so like it, there are parts of it that are like chamber poppy and chamber folky. And then there's just like straight up J-Rock bangers on here. Rina's voice and vocals are absolutely exquisite. It's one of the most consistent albums I've listened to in recent memory. It's it's a beguiling experience, but not in a way that like overwhelms you you're constantly aware of all of the active moving parts and i feel like that's an active effort on behalf of sheena's sort of performance and her like the the entire idea behind her music and she's apparently got a catalog of other really great records that i really really want to look into just because from this album alone she's a fascinating artist and this was just so much fun like an ungodly amount of fun i can't stress this enough that is for as many different musical ideas that it encompasses it's just a blast from start to finish and even if you're somebody who's like oh this sounds like it just might be a bit too weird for me give this a chance i i, I think that this is something that really has a, a place with like lots of modern audiences i think maybe just because music like this isn't in your immediate sphere, that maybe, maybe uh, you just need somebody to introduce it to you, perhaps, like uh, I did, except nobody introduced it to me. It was, you know, rate your music, thank you. Uh, but still, this is great. I, I can't imagine a single person I know uh, even being lukewarm on this. Yeah, I, this is one of those rate your music chord records that I just have not gotten around to yet for whatever reason. Uh, I, I need to change that. Like, it sounds like something that would be right up my alley. So, so good. 
it's it's <laughs> super duper fun. Another like big undertaking I I went under was it it kind of very similar to the sort of smashing pumpkins kick I went on is that I'm pretty sure it was just because we got started with uh Joy Division and then we talked about the Smiths and then logically I progressed on to listening to one of my favorite bands which is The Cure mainly because like Smashing Pumpkins I had sort of an idea of what the top upper echelon of The Cure was but I just never really came down super definitively on what my favorite Cure album was and I was like ah, I need to fix that so like with Smashing Pumpkins I just had a night where I listened to like nothing but the cure like all their records all in a row i want to see which one is my favorite and the one i came down on is in fact the often underrated 1992's wish um the album that is most often known for the fact that it's just you know the album that has friday i'm in love on it and look I've been working retail since I was 18 years old. I've heard Friday. I've been loved maybe almost daily for like, like more than 1000 times easily. That is still a perfect pop song. Overplay is, it, it, it means nothing when you're that great. And the cool thing about Wish is that, you know, you have this like, you know, really fun, upbeat guitar pop song like this, which I do think is one of the greatest pop songs of all time. Then the rest of Wish is just so fucking sad. It's such a dour album. Um, it begins with maybe my favorite Cure song ever, which is Open. Um, just like this whole album, production-wise, this is some of the best guitar tones any album has ever had. They are spacious. They are dreamy. They are warm. You have the opening run of open, high, apart, and from the edge of the deep green sea, which is like, how does anyone make a run this good? And then you have doing the unstuck Friday I'm in love, trust, letter to Elise, cut to wish impossible things and end. Dude, fuck it. Robert, like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe what happened was that in the 90s, Robert Smith, like, I don't know what happened to that dude, but like on the cover of Disintegration, it's like peak, you know, peak goth boy look. And then after that, you see a picture of Robert Smith in like the 90s. He just looks so terrible. <laughs> like his hair is just everywhere. It looks like he took lipstick and just kind of smudged it around his face. Uh, his eyeshadow is like totally misapplied. He doesn't give a fuck. And you know what? I love that for him. Um uh, but it, it, it's it, it, maybe he sacrificed his ability to give a fuck to just somehow make even better music. Uh, and Wish is just one of the most lyrically potent uh, records that I think they have. It just it encompasses everything that I love mm -hmm. about the band. And, and uh, our, our podcast family member and Twitter mutual adequate Emily gave me shit about this. Um, because apparently Wish is not as good as uh, Head on the Door, Disintegration, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, and Pornography, to which I say, 
no thing is like ever since i got into cure when i was younger like the two albums for me have always been disintegration and wish like those have just been yep. the two like they're still my top two cure albums and i don't even like Same. know which one i really prefer i probably do prefer disintegration slightly but it really doesn't matter like they're they're two different like I love how expansive they are. I love how they push at the limits of the CD length in this era as well. But 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 do that by giving you just more and more of the same beauty that you, you get in the highlight tracks just sort of spread all throughout. Like, I love the indulgence. Here, I love songs like uh, Open, you've already mentioned, from the edge of the deep green sea one of my absolute favorite cure songs is a letter to Elise. my favorite thing here oh, that song just completely so undoes good. me um yeah it, it's a remark it's just a, it's just a fucking masterpiece it's a fucking great record like i don't have anything to it's even it's getting a remaster here soon i think in like a month or something it's getting a remaster with a bunch yeah. of like bonus tracks and whatnot so we have the wish fans be eating um it is a bit after you know the cure's technical like heyday or whatever but i think that you and i will both agree that if you are into the music of the cure and you haven't listened to something like wish or blood flowers you are fucking missing out because yeah. they're two incredible records that you know that that again this is one of those bands where it's like i can conceivably see so many of their albums being like your favorite even if it does have those highs like disintegration and uh wish for me personally yeah. and there's word on the horizon of a new Cure album happening sometime in the near future, which Supposedly. I don't know how excited I can be for that just because their last two albums have not been great, but they have such a, like, their track record in the last 25 years has been so inconsistent that they very well could come through with a late uh, career heater. So who fucking knows at this point, really? But yeah, uh, one interesting little thing I, I gave a listen to this week is that I had a lot of like, I go through sort of bouts where I will discover specific genre inclinations that I'll be like interested in. And I'll sort of just go on rate your music, look and see what the highest rated albums in this thing in this sort of particular category are, or specifically albums that I've never heard of before or only have a faint idea of. And I'll just download all. And one of them that I did that with is sort of like psychedelic pop uh, a while ago, like right after I discovered uh, the Zombies Odyssey and Oracle. And it took me a while to get back to some particular records, but one of them I listened to uh, is an album called uh uh sonic sunspot with both of those uh album both of those words spelled with a p yeah by the dukes of stratosphere and i was listening to this album and i was sitting there and i was just like god production on this album is just it's it's so lush it's so gorgeous these hooks are fantastic the the fucking like i love how like new wavy this is it's like god it really really reminds me of XTC. I, I wonder if Riley maybe has like listened to this. I bet he would really like it. <laughs> and I just looked up and I was like, oh, it's because this is because this is XTC. <laughs> it, it, it is XTC, yes. I, I talked about the two Jukes of Stratosphere albums in my XTC tier list ranking video. Uh, I still prefer 25 O'Clock, which is, again, pointlessly listed as an EP on I downloaded uh, that yeah radio music that's a much shorter record to be fair but that is a, a great album Sonic Sunspot's really really good too it's an indulgence um that Andy Partridge 
essentially wanted to do and had wanted to do for a long time as well. And the idea behind it was like try and make a specifically a record that could conceivably sound like it was an actual lost album from the 60s. And they even tried yeah. to like they tried to like actually play out that fiction and sort of like present it as something that had been unearthed. But people <laughs> pretty quickly figured out that it was XTC. Um, they did and, a good job of that, though. I mean, it sounds a lot of it sounds it's a little bit more Beatles inspired than I would say the vast majority of XTC is. Yeah, I think there's one of the songs on that is also one of the bonus tracks on the most recent reissue of Skylarking, Little Lighthouse, I think it is. But the other yeah, songs, yeah, that's right. There, there are other great songs on there. Vanishing Girls is a great song. Brainiac Stilder is a great yes. song. Um, yeah, and I my favorite aspect of um this entire project is the uh pseudonyms that the members of xtc took for themselves uh, <laughs> yeah. while recording this andy's pseudonym being sir john johns um colin's pseudonym being the red curtain uh dave their guitarist his uh, pseudonym being lord cornelius plum my favorite and then the drummer uh, uh, ian gregory's is ei ei owen <laughs> I, I I really just got to hand it to Mr. Partridge for just being willing to take the bit as far as humanly possible. But that that's the thing is that that never supersedes the desire to just make great music in this vein, which I mean, just like this is just a really fun, upbeat, bright, cool album that like if you like psychedelic pop of any era, I think this is like absolutely for you. Uh, and I guess like the last thing that I will mention here is I took my next plunge into Bob Dylan with uh, I listened to the other Daniel Lanois album, which is Time Out of Mind. And I mean, surprise, surprise, canonical Bob Dylan album is pretty damn great. I will say this is probably my least favorite Dylan thus far, if oh, nothing really? else, because this is sort of an album that like, you know, it, with some of his more indulgent longer albums so far that's sort of part and parcel of the experience this is the first album of his that runs north of 55 minutes that really does feel its length in a way that i don't feel like is conducive to the experience like there are just some parts don't need to be that long um a lot of the parts for some of the instrumental like you know they sound great it's daniel Lanois. But first of all, they don't sound as great as Oh Mercy, but you know, mm -hmm. uh, but um, it, it just it just sort of feels you like like leaving you just like wanting more a little bit. And it just feels like there's a little bit more of a like a focus on like this is a, like way more than any of his other albums. Like this is a blues rock album, uh, like like front and center. And it, it, it suffers just a tiny bit because of that. I feel like there's a little bit less variety than there is on even his more stripped back, like blood on the tracks type stuff. Um, but it's still a great Canon Dylan album that a lot of people just like a little bit more than I do, but it's still great. It still has some of his best songs, even if I think the version of To Make You Feel My Love on here is uh, not the optimal version of that song. He just, it, it's very odd why he it's like this whole album is dylan just being like yeah i'm older but i still got it and on this song he just sound like 
motherfucker is just like, hey, you feel my love? Give me my Delsum. I need to take cold medicine. Like, fucking, like, Jesus Christ, man. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, it's still, like, a legendary song, so... Mm. it is like it's an undeniably um, indulgent record and i've definitely oh, heard yeah. people make the argument that it is a little bit overrated before and look i can't hold that against it i think i have a soft spot for it because it was one of the first ones i heard uh so i think it was definitely the first post 60s one that i heard so i was still kind of like in that nascent phase of like discovering dylan and what he could do um but yeah i don't know i haven't listened to it in a long time so we'll see i might go back to it sometime soon and uh i'll see how my opinion changes if it does at all but yeah it's yeah it's just it's dylan it's in his element. very good all right as for what i have been listening to this week uh, a few things that i will shout out first of all I want to shout out a brand new record that has been getting quite the acclaim uh, from across the music spectrum. I uh, got a 9.0 from Pitchfork. Rapturously I listened to this received, as well. Yeah, rapturously received across the music world. It is the new album from Sudan Archives, which is the musical project of one Brittany Parks uh, from Los Angeles, I believe. And this album, Natural, Br- Natural Brown Prom Queen, is one of the most inventive r&b records that i've heard in a long time uh it's it feels like too soon to really fully assess the impact of something like this and it took and it did take me a couple of lessons to a couple of listens to fully get my head around everything that britney is doing on this record because make no mistake this record is eclectic as fuck there's you know there's more genre infusions on this album than i can count on my hands like this record is bananas it's gonzo it's a it's just completely off the deep end at certain points and i don't say this to try and suggest that it's a record that's kind of kind of like just bash your brains in it's not like completely Mm-mm. you know an affront to your ears or whatever but it is like it's such a journey in a way that i feel we haven't gotten from an r&b record or from an, a record in this kind of like funkier vein since like you know flying lotus for instance and it's infused with like that it has that the bass tones and just the general funk tones have that real thundercat energy to them as well mm-hmm. that really infuses this and but really like what this record is is britney like her performances her instrumentation as well she's multi-talented and she completely drives and pushes all these songs forward she's an incredibly accomplished violinist in her own right as well and the strings on this record accordingly are fantastic uh this is a sprawling album it it feels like with enough time to settle it could be you know heralded it could become i think a new classic of this modern phase of alternative r&b it's just like it's ridiculously sexual it's ridiculously over the top it's ridiculously full of energy has so many great songs on it homemaker uh, selfish soul omg brit chevy s10 which is just one of my favorite bangers of the year as well enormous song yeah freakalyzer too uh just so much stuff on this record and it is like it's full to bursting it's a lot to take in but it is a record that i mean i don't even know exactly fully how much i love it yet i know that i have i think it's a absolutely a properly great album but there's just so much happening that i need to soak in it for a little bit longer and i think that its ultimate uh effect and 
how well it, it ages and goes the distance is still to be determined but man i mean this is one of the the few records i think have animated me in terms of like wiring neurons in my brain in a new way this year than this one has like there's been a lot of great records this year that have done things that i that i you know that are amazing but certainly that i have heard before in some form or another whereas it does feel like at every point brit is trying to push forward the genres that she's working with and kind of break them down as well at the same time there's a little bit of erica badu in here there's a little bit of i was gonna say it's the meeting point of d'angelo and erica badu yeah absolutely and yeah so a melting pot of influences where any single influence you could mention kind of will never really be able to do it justice uh, she's a great storyteller as well. She's a fantastic weaver of these tapestries of her personality, of her culture, of her sexuality, of her experiences. And yeah, it's just a record that I, every time I finish listening to it, I look forward to the next time I get to fully dive into it again. I put it on this week, like just the other day, like just wanting something to catch up with some records that I hadn't heard and just have something on the background while I was working. And I ended up just like, completely being unable to focus on anything else it was just yeah it was a really really special album and i am pleased that it's getting the acclaim that it's getting and in terms of how eclectic it is and how truly progressive it feels with its genre the other record from this year that comes to mind that it reminds me of is rosalia's motomami but this of course does its mm. own thing entirely but there are two records that i think kind of go hand in hand in terms of just sort of being a little bit batshit and the having the personality flair and charisma to pull that off i think i i think that the only notable like weak point of the album for me is just sort of like lyrically i think it kind of runs a bit thin at times but like there are distinct highlights and sort of stories on there that make it worth listening from like front to back even though it kind of seems like it's a big long dense listen absolutely uh, a couple other things i'll shout out as well is uh last week the a new album came out from a band that I absolutely love, the Afghan Wigs, another 90s institution. Uh, and they, of course, were put out a string of fantastic records in the 90s, Gentlemen, Black Love, 1965. Uh, Gentlemen and Black Love in particular, like two of the greatest albums of the 90s in general. I cannot pick between the two of them anymore, which I prefer. They're just like, I I, I describe them as kind of being like, uh, it's like a Ride the Lightning Master of Puppets scenario for me. Like those two records are just like, they're not significantly different from one another, but they're just like so perfect in their own distinct ways that it's just like two totemic classics. And to be fair to the Afghan Wigs and to their frontman Greg Dooley, they have never really lost their step, even after taking a 16-year break and coming back in 2014 with Due to the Beast and the incredibly underrated 2017 album In Spades. They have kept up their momentum. They have continued to push the soul grunge-esque influenced rock sound that they exist within, the sort of thing that sounds kind of anachronistic now, sort of super, super 90s in a way that is a little bit strange to hear being done in the current year, but I do feel like they have evolved enough, and particularly through uh, the honing of Greg's musical influences and stylings through his albums that he made with the Twilight Singers, during the breakup of Afghan Wigs or during the hiatus. Um, and the new record, How Do You Burn, is 
I mean, it's another great Afghan Wigs record. Like it is probably the loudest and most kind of in your face album that they've made since they reformed. And especially with that opening track, which is, you know, irresistibly titled, I'll Make You See God. Uh, it's it's a very intense album. It has a lot going for it. Really, really enjoyed yeah. it. It has some moments of like sort of dreamy ambience as well that are very much par for the course for later era Afghan Wigs too. But I just find Greg to be, such a unique personality in terms of the the, the style of, of aged drunkard that he is and i think the record is really really good and worth a shot another album i want to shout out as well a, a record that uh now while i was not in love with this as a whole I still want to give it my highest possible recommendation because well for starters there are moments on it that i think are astronomically great and also i just think the general aesthetic and what this record is there are a lot of people i know jake you included who will love the fuck out of this and this is a new uh black gaze post metal shoegaze type record from a band called holy fawn uh and the they oh, are yeah. a they're an arizona based sort of uh black gaze style sort of band um and their new album is called dimensional bleed and it is fire like this shit is hard as hell and i think that anyone who enjoys bands like Dev heaven bands like i'll say that sort of vibe will get a lot out of this it's very much an americanized sort of i'll say type shit um and there are moments on this thing that absolutely blow my mind tracks like sightless uh one of my top 10 or 20 songs of the year is the song true loss on this album which absolutely is the it's the penultimate track here and it's absolutely worth sticking around for that shit is insanely good uh but yeah this is just my metal recommendation of the week 100 is this new holy fawn album really great stuff i think a lot of people out there will dig it even more than i do and i'm actually i have some degree of confidence that even if i come back to this i'll probably like it even more on the whole my only real qualm with it was that it was kind of, it, it felt a little bit derivative at certain points in the certain sense that it wasn't doing a whole lot that I hadn't heard before. But I think that if that's not something that bothers you that much, you'll probably just straight up love this. It is not reinventing the, the wheel in any way, but it is still a, a group of musicians who are insanely talented and are really, really great at capturing that foggy, shoegazy, metallic aesthetic. Um, so yeah, highly recommend that. And the last thing I'll mention is another new record that has been very, very hyped up on, on, on in online spaces, communities like Rate Your Music, all that sort of thing. That It is from a an English art pop slash electronic uh, fusion band called Jockstrap uh, that is led by, I think, the front woman of this band is uh, one of the founding members of Black Country New Road. Uh, but it's very different to the sort of music that Black Country New Road make. Again, it's much more art poppy. It's much more electronic. Uh, the new album's called I Love You, Jennifer B. And this is not for me. <laughs> um, despite the fact that I I love Black Country New Road, I love their new album. I think that there's an immense amount of talent in that band. And I think that Georgia Ellery, who, again, front woman of this band, an incredible uh, force of the musical background of that band as well is really really talented this is just a record that is i think a little bit too much more about aesthetics and sonic 
uh, templates, I suppose, than songs. There's a lot of stuff that's interesting and jagged and weird happening here that I think will captivate people who like to hear pop music kind of filtered through an angular and obscure lens. Uh, it's very much chopped up and it comes across with moments of real sort of dominance and, and heft in the electronic instrumentation at certain points but there's also lots of parts of it where it kind of just sort of meanders and iterates and sort of just walks in circles um, it's been a really really hyped up record though so I don't want to take away from the fact that there are probably people out there a lot of people out there who probably will enjoy it more than me but I have to say it's definitely considering the hype and considering the personnel involved i would say this is one of the bigger disappointments of the year unfortunately so i didn't really it's called fucking jock scrap some yeah. real fucking pitchfork <laughs> goop on your grinch shit i <laughs> i like i wasn't really feeling it um but you know power to these guys i am i i would like to see if they're able to find their sound with subsequent releases and I'm curious to see if the very bizarro aesthetic of this has any bearing on wherever Black Country New Road are headed next. But it's just a little bit of a curio side project, I think. I don't really get the acclaim that this is a great pop record because it's certainly not, in my opinion. <laughs> but yeah, that's what it is. And that's basically all I have to report on this week. So without further ado, let's get into the first of our main reviews of the day, which is... new album from preoccupations arrangements now preoccupations are a canadian post-punk band they are one of the defining post-punk acts of the specific because it's like when i say post-punk revival that means like three distinct eras and they all sound different <laughs> so i have to yeah. be clear about what i'm saying a specifically pivotal band in the late 2000s early 2010s wave of particularly kind of nihilistic and grueling post-punk you know i think the most famous band in this vein is probably proto martyr but um the other big famous band that is came much earlier than Proto Matter and kind of defined this sound in a big way is the band Women, which is a band that released two incredibly important albums in the late 2000s and then dissolved and reformed as a band called Viet Cong, essentially, with mostly the same uh, lineup of musicians and released what I believe to be uh, one of the greatest post-punk albums of all time, uh, the self-titled Viet Cong record in 2015. Agree. Uh, an astonishing album. And then um, I think due to concerns about the sensitivity of naming your band Viet Cong, they eventually renamed and rebranded yet again for the second time as Preoccupations and put out a, a second self-titled album, but this time as Preoccupations in 2016, a really great record as well. And ever since then, the MO has been consistency and riding this wave and giving you songs that feed into this incredibly cloudy, distorted, moany sort of aesthetic that's part aughts, part the drones, and just entirely its own thing at the same time as well. And the thing that I've always loved about Preoccupations is, you know, they get a lot of comps to Joy Division understandably, I suppose, like it is an obvious point of reference and it's definitely there. And 
you know, more than just aesthetically, you have an incredible presence of the rhythm section in this band, a driving bass presence as well, particularly from bassist Matt Flegel, who is also the frontman and vocalist of the band. And the drums as well do not lose steam at all either. You get that very kind of prototypical post-punk rhythm section sound where the bass is thick, it's loud, it's present in the mix, and the drums are industrial, they're crashing, they are militaristic, and the guitars are heavily distorted and heavily cloudy and just kind of really murky, but also in a way that makes them, despite being murky sounding, they also kind of have a jaggedness to them in the way that the riffs kind of cut through that atmosphere. I mean, the band has two guitarists, Scott Monroe and Daniel Christensen, and it's almost like one of them is using the guitar to create these soundscapes, and then the other the one is using their guitar to essentially create these serrating riffs that punch through that atmosphere and they're back here with the fourth album as a band the third preoccupations album technically arrangements which is their first record in four years and honestly while i think that preoccupations have been a really really consistent band and one of my favorite bands of this particular era of post-punk revival i i mean the Viet Cong is an album that's so good that it's kind of a doomed task to try and like follow it up or create a record that is going to have the level of impact that that record does because so much of it is about the sheer shock of hearing a post-punk band that are as loud and as in your face but also have the hooks that they have on that record. And their subsequent records, the Preoccupations album and 2018's New Material, have been very good. Uh, I would even say that New Material is particularly an underrated album, but they definitely have felt as though they haven't been able to quite recapture the spark that I think fully animated that album until now, because Arrangements is exactly exactly the record i would have wanted from pre I, at any point in their discography but i'm fucking grateful to have it now this album is fantastic it is i mean it easily their second best record uh obviously because nothing's ever gonna hit the totemic highs of Viet Cong, but it's it feels like a happy companion to that record it is again not super treading new ground for preoccupations it's not really reinventing the wheel i think for some people that has been a bit of a disappointment is that this band have kind of not necessarily evolved or you know adjusted to the fact that the post-punk aesthetic has shifted so dramatically since they first came about but i'm glad that they're still doing this and i think that this record's most satisfying attribute is that they bring the hooks and they bring the memorable guitar lines and they bring the presence and intensity more so than they have in the past seven years. And all of those things add up to an incredibly immaculate sounding record. Jake, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this album, uh, given that you're also a more recently converted, but still a big fan of their early work too. Yeah, I haven't heard uh, this the technical self-titled or new material uh, yet but I, I've always meant to get around to them just because I mean Viet Cong is just a fucking slammer of a record um, one of my favorite recent discoveries in terms of post-punk and I, I think the amazing thing about this is that it's like you just don't know what area of post-punk which is such a wide umbrella these days these guys are gonna really draw from and it ends up being a little bit of everything and that's all to the record strengths i 
unpopularly i think that like while a really great start to the record fix bayonets probably my least favorite thing on here it feels like the most normal preoccupations Viet Cong sort of like compressed loud drums cloudy guitars rambly post-punk kind of thing that you want out of an album like this in many respects it's a great way to open the record but then you go into ricochet and that's where that's where just my my fucking my brain gets set on fire. I fucking love this song. This sounds like I can't remember if it was you who said it, but at least somebody this week was like, "This is like if you played uh, a Joy Division and a New Order song at the same time," <laughs> uh, and and this is the song, and it is. It's because it's got this fucking like. I love the sort of echoey refrain of the ricochet, but it also has that like, it has like three different distinct segments. It's like really kind of like structurally progressive, but it also just has like, it, it, it's so strange to describe post-punk this way, but it's just like, it takes on a sort of atmospheric enormity by the end of it that just kind of ends up swallowing you and that's this like that's the cool thing about this record is that each song on here i think has a moment that just like fully captivates you uh and because it sort of deviates from the norm like the sort of like weird kind of chamber folk beginning to something like slowly which is just such a like what what were you thinking but also thank you <laughs> dude slowly is i fucking love this song i've been yeah obsessed with this track ever since i first heard it like the just the whole vibe of it as well again how heavy it's leaning into that really rollicking bass line that's super peter oh, hooky. the bass and the, the bass way on this that... whole album the way that uh, the way that Matt uh, is singing on this song as well, it just like it really gets me. There's a real tenderness to the way he sings. Like one of the things about Matt is that like one of the things I associate him with in terms of his vocal style is that he's really good at sounding really fucking angry about something. Like he has this menacing uh, tone uh, to the way that he sings. But then there will be songs like this every so often where you will get like this description of like a particularly relatable ennui or isolation that completely cuts me down and again um proto martyr are great at doing this too as well where a lot of the songs will be just about how fucking shit and dystopian it is to live in michigan and then it, all of a sudden you just get a song that's about you know wishing you were dead and it's a completely different thing but uh the lyrics here are amazing take me away from unnecessary conversations faithlessly patient with unintended consequences disappearing into the ether at four o'clock in the morning with the world spinning uh. slowly remember to wake me for cemetery violations nobody knows where the secondary catacomb could be um when you hate what you've become and you're waiting for the day yeah. the day waits for no one like fuck me dude just stop it it's not okay and the whole record i think is actually kind of pervasively dominated by sentiments like this like it's a really depressed album like lyrically speaking like i mean death just of melody doing in an emptiness that like it, it feels very it, it feels very stark but there's also a sort of 
it, it just it sort of drowns you in this kind of murkiness that makes you feel like a lot of post-punk albums sort of make you kind of angular environment that it just sort of puts you in visually but if you like visualized this album there's something that's more distinctly like fluid and 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 watery about it that feels so very like it all it feels both like you are weightless but also incredibly affected by gravity in a yeah. way that feels both contradictory and yeah. complementary and, and it's just really deep echoed sound yeah i mean i mean just these lyrics from death of melody as well which is one of the records most oh. just gloomy and just gut-reaching songs faces that i don't even recognize replace the faces that i know and shapelessly scream at me to wait impatiently for someone to create a list of things to see before i die somewhere in time i forgot to read the space between the lines and couldn't find the plot maybe i should have left it all behind me in the dust with all those wasted days like <sighs> just it's it's like it's almost excessive in terms of the dreariness but like it's so acute like one of the things i love about this record is you kind of get a sense of counterpoint i think between how it just consistently gloomy these lyrics can be and how weirdly addictively hooky the songs themselves can feel not even even lyrically hooky although sometimes they are but also just like musically they sweep you up so much i mean that's one of my favorite things about fixed bayonets the opener here is that the drumming on this song is so fast like you just are absolutely being pulled through this absolute blitzkrieg of a song and it really gives you no room to breathe it has some of the most surrealistic lyrics on the album as well we're dissolving in the gutter with a sour rain and i'm lost in the middle of it all again patiently ignite the fuse and sit and wait for everything to detonate like there, there's the record really doesn't give you a chance to gather your bearings fully until ricochet which is i concur stunning single uh i like how uh it took me a while to pinpoint it but i was like this fucking main melody just and the vibe just reminds me of something and then it took me a while before i realized it was uh don't fear the reaper by blue oyster cult and it kind of <laughs> cribs it yeah. kind of cribs the the melody there a little bit but it's it's you know it's an it's a nice little it's a cribs the melody because it's a great melody and it's uh it's a stunning song as well like i think morgan who couldn't be with us today was particularly passionate about this song as well and again the lyrics here i'm beating a dead horse almost because it's the same sort of topic that we've been talking about but ricochet and decay staring back at me with broken eyes like empty stalls at abandoned shopping malls ricochet and decay will catch our breath before we run with all our might into the surveilling setting sun there's like an inevitability of suffering here that is like it's fucking nietzschean it's 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 gonna be a lot for some people but i think that again and this is something that I think is truer here than of their last two records, which were good, but again, had moments where it felt like the music was kind of almost just purposefully sort of beating itself into the ground, whereas this is a little bit more energetic consistently. And even on a song like the longest track here, Advisor, where you just kind of get to a stew God. in it for so long and it feels like the whole thing is just kind of building and building and building and then collapsing and collapsing in its first and second half respectively like it's 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 outstanding it's great songwriting it's just great musicality altogether and then the record ends really really strongly as well with a two punch of uh recalibrate and especially tearing up the grass which is one of their best closers in general like uh, there's not a, a wide diversity of things i have to say about this record because it is very uniform 
Um, and I think the biggest outlier on the record is Slowly because that's the one that sounds the most distinct sonically and also just gets me on a particular level that is head and shoulders above the rest of it. But man, if you want some properly miserable shit to listen to and you want to be reminded of why the post-punk revival aesthetic has, continues to persist and continues to kind of bring itself back out of the shadows then this is absolutely what I would recommend. It's like every song on this is like uh, the best Proto Mater song, which is Maidenhead, which is a song that's topically about the same thing as all of these other songs. And this is just like exercises in combining that gloominess with the sort of liveliness that post-punk came to develop in the 80s with some of those more uh, electronic and dance-influenced bands that took that industrial aesthetic and made it friendlier. Um, so yeah, I think Joy Division and New Order, playing a Joy Division and New Order song at the same time is a great way to describe a lot of this, actually. So that is probably the best way I could sell it. it it's kind of the, like, it's like the first sort of quintessential modern post-punk album that really has grabbed me since Relatives and Descent, I think. And, you know, I, I liked the the last Proto-Martyr album too, but that was the one that sort of like really sort of gripped me personally. And I think a lot of it too has to do with the fact that, again, this is sort of, it's it's not even 40 minutes long. It's seven tracks. Everything here is really defined, really structurally dynamic and cool, but it just, it always has this impact and it always has this depth. And I think it feels sort of like the antidote to a lot of what we find sort of exhausting about some of the modern post-punk acts you know um stuff like the 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 fucking the, the televised mind folks you know their <laughs> their aesthetic feels kind of like dreary but not in a way that sort of communicates dreariness but in a way that just sort of makes you feel like yeah this is really monotone and really you know kind of stark but in a way that that feels like flavorless and and just kind of like you're mimicking all of the the parts of the sound that feel kind of like you know joy division but the 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 sort of not echoing the anxiety and instead channeling the stiffness and you just end up sound dimensional whereas this is just so full and retains so much impact the whole time and so like this feels very quintessentially post-punk again it's not going to show you a new side of this genre or just be like whoa this is really just kind of changing the game a little bit but it will give you i feel like everything that you are looking for when you picture in your head like hey this is the kind of post-punk that i really love like if you again we talked about joy divisions closer uh very recently very similar vibe honestly this is like <laughs> closer but with like modern production yeah i guess i can't really i can't really fault that camp at all to be honest the vibe is certainly the same um but yeah what i would say any other thing i would say as well is that like relative 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 to a lot of these modern post-punk bands many of whom i love there's like I mean, they all have it. One of the things that kind of defines a lot of them is they they all have a really good sense for how to imbue their aesthetic in the context of you know pop music, more or less, like not straightforward pop music, but just kind of like hookiness, addictiveness, catchiness, a sense of immediacy. And preoccupations are great at doing that too, but it's like specifically 80s pop and that they channel their yeah. cloudy post-punk through. So if that's going to appeal to you, then you should absolutely not give this a miss. And if you are, you know, a fan of some of their earlier work, but you've kind of dropped off a little bit, 
I think this is a great place to come back on board. All right. So favorite tracks and ratings then for arrangements. Jake, you go first. Uh, my three favorite tracks on here gotta be Ricochet, um, Slowly, and also Advisor. I think that Advisor is really great for the same reason that Slowly is great, and that it just starts you in a really disarming place, and then just becomes gradually kind of more uncomfortable as it goes along, um, but also has like a really, you know, tight melodic sensibility about it. That's a, it's a great track. And yeah, my fa- least favorite thing on here is Fixed Bayonets, but the delineation between the, the lowest point on the album, the highest point on the album is a slim margin so doesn't really matter all that much uh and i give the album an eight out of ten all right morgan who couldn't join us was a big fan of this record he's given it an 8.5 my three favorite tracks are slowly obviously tearing up the grass and i'll say fix bayonets uh least favorite if i had to pick one maybe recalibrate but i i really don't think there's anything that misses a beat here uh, this is also an eight from me as well. A, a great record, uh, which means we get an average overall of 8.2 for preoccupations arrangements. All right, let's go into our second review of the day, which is the new album from Built to Spill, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. Built to Bill. Spill to Bill. Uh, BTS are back. Uh, bts army unite uh they're back with a new record which is their first album in seven years i believe if you don't count the daniel johnston covers album they put out in 2020 which was kind of more of a a sort of side project thing not an album proper this is their ninth studio album the follow-up to 2015's untethered moon and i mean the thing about built to spill at this point like seminal 90s alt rock indie band released a string of just classic 90s rock records from There's Nothing Wrong With Love through Perfect From Now On through Keep It Like A Secret, which, you know, basically run the gamut from almost power poppy, sort of sharp, hook-driven stuff to more progressive and jam-based stuff. Like, Built to Spill really can do it all and have done it all, basically. And oftentimes, nowadays especially, they will kind of combine it within a single album as well. And they've kind of just slowed down the pace a little bit and they release an album every you know between five or six years typically at this point and every time they do you can pretty much be guaranteed it'll be at the very least solid and it will have moments that really really do impress you and when the wind forgets your name i think is no exception to this rule although i will say i think uh for what it's worth i think i enjoyed this more than i was even expecting to uh from build to spill at this particular point in time certainly because i think the lead single which is opening track gonna lose is pretty handily the weakest song on the album um i agree and it's just funny when that happens not only is it i think the weakest song on the album but it's also by far the shortest song on the record too like the majority of this uh, are all like sort of five minute really kind of uh tracks that luxuriate in a particular space and ride these gorgeous waves of sound that built the spill are super super known for for usually at least five minutes with a pretty standard eight minute closer that you would expect from built to spill and so gonna lose which is like you know an admirable attempt to i think try and concisely communicate some of that 
is just not quite a song that hits the mark all that much. It's weird. Like, I think mm. this record is better than their last one, Untethered Moon, but also that record, I think, was slightly better at doing the concise song thing. Um, but again, it's really apples and oranges when you're talking about late period built to spill. It's all very much consistent. But the record, I think, does pick up slack immediately with Fool's Gold, and you're basically off to the races from there. Again, the theme this yeah. week, uh, bands that are by no means reinventing themselves, but are... I think learning more and more to recognize what makes them really, really strong and to lean into those things and to make what I would deem to be great late career records. Like, I think this is the best album they've put out since 2006's You in Reverse. I know you're a pretty big fan of the 2009 album, There Is No Enemy as well. So it's fair to say, you know, we're both on the side of late era built to spill. We both wanted to like this record and I, for one, was really really taken with it to be honest there's elements of this record that took me by surprise mm -hmm. like you have the intrusion of i think uh an, an electric organ solo on elements you have a proper mm -hmm. sort of dub funk-esque song with rock steady that kind of feels like i don't know the clash by way of pavement in a weird way it's a strange <laughs> fusion of sounds um, and you get, you know, fairly standard built to spill as well, like songs that are really good at doing the built to spill thing and not really much more than that. And that's enough, you know, songs like Understood, songs like Never All Right, for instance. Uh, and then I would say also there's like an additional layer of songs that I think are truly great that the record kind of reaches at a certain point where you get a real sense of that classic era energy coming through. Uh, but I'll get into the specific songs a little bit more in a bit. I want to hear from you at this point, Jake. Again, as someone who's a little bit newer on the built to spill wagon, um, what were you kind of, did you have any particular expectations going into this? And what's your general feeling on how well this album holds up as a late career record? I guess since I have only heard the two built to spill albums previous to this, which are um, perfect from now on and there is no enemy and i am a rare psychopath who kind of thinks that they're as good as each other um I, I was just sort of like up in the air in terms of expectations because i was like i don't know if this is going to sort of hit the same stride of consistency as their early record did for me or if it was going to be as sonically interesting as there is no enemy was and i ended up getting something that felt firmly within that sort of like what you would expect but also i also ended up enjoying it a lot more than i expected it to and I hate to use uh, language that, frankly, we, we both don't like using, but like, it's mainly <laughs> because this record's a bit of a vibe. Um, there's just, there's lots of moments on here that hit a sort of dreamier indie rock that sounds, you know, it, it's very 90s indie rock, very like, you know, it's funny to try and describe this without just saying like, oh, it's like built to spill. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think pavement is a really good uh, point of comparison. Um, and it's just it's it's very nice um i would say that the guitar work isn't as forwardly impressive nor is it uh like mixed in a way that feels like it's at the forefront quite like perfect from now on was it's not like the it sort of feels like the guitars on the earlier built to spill records sort of overpower doug march's voice um very intentionally so it feels like this is a more lyrically 
kind of front and center record in a way that feels a bit more friendly and inviting. This sort of feels like to me, an album that built the spill is making late career that, you know, maybe they want a couple of people to be like, Oh, Hey, this nineties indie rock band, what are they all about? Sort of like a jumping on point with them. And I would say that this is an accessible record that if you are looking to see whether or not you're going to gauge the appeal of this band, um, whether or not, you know, a good litmus test to see your, if you're going to enjoy them. I think there's some moments on here that are like, I, I just don't find, yeah, Gonna Lose to be particularly like melodically interesting. It just sort of ends before it really gets started. And I feel like every other song here does a great job. It's sort of immersing you in its sort of more atmospheric tone. Um, for example, I think the album's sort of strongest point for me is the one-two punch of Understood and Elements. Um, which I think hit a point of having some really, there's some really relatable emotional sentiments on here that really do feel like, you know, sort of classic center of the universe uh, era uh, built to spill where it's sort of getting at these really existential questions. And often mm -hmm. the lyricism here can be kind of like flowery and if ephemeral and sort of fantastical in places that I think that the uh, cover art kind of showcases really well. Uh, and that sort of goes with the sort of vibier tone of the music. And again, that's sort of like once you get into understood, it's just kind of smooth sailing from then on out. I will say that Rocksteady, Spiderweb, and Never All Right aren't quite as good for me as All Right and Comes a Day. I think that Comes a Day is a really like awesome, sort of ambitious, much longer sort of ending for the album that is more structurally interesting than a lot of the stuff on here. And All Right is, I just think, a very comforting kind of emotional song that sort of feels very... Uh, uh, again, it really does feel like this is plucked straight out of the late 90s, not even just in terms of like a built to spill record is this just does feel like classic 90s indie rock. Yeah, um, the sort of sentiments the just sort of very plain, we can take it all back, we can make it all right, we can say whatever we feel we can make it all right, we can make it real. It's very, um, it's not exactly lyrically like pointed or anything, but nonetheless, the performances make it feel relatively moving. Mm -hmm. It's a very if you like this kind of music it's a very comfy album it's a it's a comfort food album if you like indie rock yeah absolutely and i think that moments like all right where you get a little bit more peering back for the most part although that song does i think pick up steam i think as it goes on a little bit are valuable mm -hmm. uh, i do want to shout out fool's gold as well that song is really great i think it's grown on me quite a bit too i think that i kind of wish that had been the lead single in a certain sense because that to me feels like the most the biggest sort of breath of fresh air that the album has without you know changing it up all that much at all but just like really bringing that uh fulsome sound forward i actually really like the riff and guitar playing on gonna lose but the weird thing about it is i do think the hook's kind of a non-starter yeah. as you've said but also is it just me or is this song like noticeably weaker in terms of like production than the rest of the album like it just... i was a bit worried when i started listening to it and i was just like ah oh, is the whole thing gonna sound this like gray and murky yeah like... i was just a bit like they were, the mix was just off. I mean, I think instantly, as soon as that song started, it was just weirdly uh, produced and weirdly engineered. And, and the record, to be fair, again, it doesn't sound that like that on any of the rest of the record. I think it really finds its no. theme quickly. So that was a weird thing. Uh, but I know a lot of Bill Spill fans that we know who really, really love this song. So you might still love it uh, if you haven't heard this yet. 
Uh, but I will say that uh, I, I think that the decision to really much stick within that built to spill aesthetic, but maybe have a couple of curveballs like Rocksteady is a smart one. I'm not sure how well they pull that off with a song like Rocksteady, but I'm kind of like, the more I listened to this record, the more I was kind of grateful that it was there because it was just like, yeah, it, me it felt reasonably tasteful, um, even if it went on a little bit. And it also made me think like seeing a Built to Spill song called Rocksteady made me kind of want to imagine a universe in which Built to Spill made a Scar album. Uh, but maybe that's <laughs> for the best. Uh, I also want to say that uh, two of the two two of the my two favorite moments on this record, where I think uh, the strengths of Built to Spill are realized most effusively, are on the song Spiderweb and Comes a Day. Spiderweb because I think it has the best guitar playing on the record from Doug. There's a solo yeah. in this song that just, it, it gives me, it's the one moment on this record where I get that real 90s throwback nostalgic energy in terms of Doug's playing. It takes me right back to Perfect From Now On and I'm just there. And that guitar solo is great. And the song itself really holds up well, as I think, as well. But the best song, I think, is the closing track, Comes a Day, because it really lets Built to Spill do the Built to Spill thing, you know, do the Broken Chairs type song, you know, the eight minute yeah. closer that really lets them sort of ride out the guitars and just drive through some really great melodies. And they do have some really great melodies in the song. It's really, really good. It's a satisfying way of tying the bow on the record. And I would be satisfied for Built to Spill to continue to make records like this. I think one of the reasons why it's easier to forgive their lack of, of reinvention or ambition is the fact that they really don't make records very often at all. So it's like you've had enough time to really miss them when they come back and give you a dose of something. And I think this is what this is. I When I say I think it's their best since you in reverse, it's not like there's that's an easy call to make. I think the level of consistency since then has been very much of a piece. But I think that if you want to get a slice of built to spill that really kind of punches you in the face a little bit and, and kind of doesn't meander too much and kind of really gets to the point very quickly, I think this record will satisfy you. And if you're more in the vein for something that's a little bit more languorous, that really takes its time a bit more, and I then I would say to go back to something like You in Reverse or There Is No Enemy, which are the records that really, I think, better do that side of Built to Spill. Uh, it's not their best record from a songwriting perspective. I think that frankly a lot of what Doug's right a lot of Doug's writing here is kind of pedestrian but I also don't really mind too much it's just it's what it is um and it's yeah and and it's I'm glad that it exists and I'm glad that we have an excuse to talk about Built to Spill and I hope that someday we'll get an excuse to talk about them even more in the context of one of their classics but um that's the, <laughs> that's what it is uh with When the Wind Forgets Your Name all right, favorite tracks and ratings for the new Built to Spill album, the new BTS classic. Yep. I'll go first this time. My three favorite tracks are going to be Comes a Day, Spiderweb, and Fools. No, Elements, I'll check in as my third favorite. I really love that organ solo. It's so good. Uh, Very good. Least favorite is going to lose, and the album gets a 6.5 from me. Morgan has also listened to it and enjoyed it well enough, gave it a 6. Uh, Jake, your turn. My three favorite tracks gotta be Understood, Elements, and All Right. Least favorite is Gonna Lose. I give the album a seven. All right, which means we get an average of 6.5 for Built to Spills, When the Wind Forgets Your Name. 
So if you're still with us, thanks for sticking around on such a low key episode. No, no world blowing albums, but hopefully you get a chance to check these out and let us know what you think in the comments below, because we would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this video, please consider giving it a like as well and subscribing to the channel if you have not already. Both of those things really, really help us to keep doing what we do. We'll be back on Wednesday with a special record club uh, celebrating the 20th anniversary of Queens of the Stone Age's Songs for the Deaf, which is great and you can look forward to that. And if you haven't already checked out some of the stuff that we put out more recently, I'm very proud of the video I put out the other day on my 10 favorite radio department songs, a great indie pop band from the 2000s that even if you're not familiar with them check the video out i give some good recommendations and i think you'll get a sense and of become what you familiar like. with them <laughs> yeah fuck. they have four great records that all sound quite distinct and i think that you'll get an idea of what you might be interested in if you check that video out so check that one out as well we also did a great record club on the smiths the queen is dead as well that i'm really really proud of as well talking about 80s talking about jangle pop talking about post-punk so check that shit out too Great one. We're going to be back next the week. Death of the monarchy. We're going to be back You're next, next Charles. <laughs> be back next week with some new reviews <laughs> for you as well. Talking about the new Mars Volta album. So you do not want to miss that. The gang is going to be all assembled to get into that doozy of a record. As always, though, folks, rock over London, rock on Chicago, Old Spice. If your grandfather hadn't worn it, you wouldn't exist. <laughs> Volta, 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 vol